Hello, thanks for joining us for another episode of SDBC Podcast. Today we have Jordan Scott, Jason Oldham, and Mary Grierson joining me for a conversation around the topic of racism and a Christian response. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us for our second episode, episode two of this SDBC podcast. Today we have Jason Oldham, our director of worship arts. What's up? <laughs> and we have Mary Grierson, our community life coordinator. Good to be here. And we got Pastor Jordan Scott, our executive pastor at SDBC. Glad to be back on the show, although I am still waiting for the baseball cap that uh, I thought was a part of my contract to be on your next show, but we can talk about that after. <laughs> if you don't get that, you got to watch episode number one, or at least listen to episode number one. My name is Paul Park. I'm one of the pastors here at South Delta Baptist Church, and we get to talk about many things, of course, the Bible, culture, our community, society, and things like that. This is another platform for us to have these conversations and discussions. Um, I thought today we would tackle a, a conversation around a topic that's been on many people's minds for the last few weeks. We're now a few weeks um, removed from the tragic death of George Floyd and also the ensuing social movement that we're continuing to see, not only on social media, but just on the news in general, in every aspect of life. Um, and I'm seeing protests, not just here in North America, but in major cities all across the world. And this has really started a, a good conversation, I think, around this topic. But I thought we would, we would talk about this too, from a Christian perspective, a biblical perspective, and from what we see as a church. But I guess let's start with our personal aspect of this. How did George Floyd's death, the tragic death, but also what we saw afterwards in our communities and our society, how did that impact us personally? So Mary, do you want to start us off? How did this impact you? Yeah, for me, I was immediately just struck by the reality of living in a sin-marred world, the brokenness, the reality that these things do happen. And so right away, I just felt really charged to think of how, are, like, how am I living in this world and what can I do to be part of a positive change and to see equality for all and unity for all. And so I just... I took out my Bible and I started just researching what God has to say about this. And I found uh, in Galatians 5, it says, For you are all called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so I just started pondering my own life and praying. And God just began to reveal in me... Um, this reality that approaching a subject like this, it's so easy to get defensive and say, oh, I didn't do anything. I don't need to apologize. I'm not part of the problem. When yes, maybe that's true, but also on a whole nother side of that, the way that we can approach this as Christians and people who want to love like Jesus is just to come with an open hand and a soft heart posture to approach the situation and say, how can I listen? How can I learn? How can I understand better? And that's where I am right now, just pondering mm -hmm. the word and just trying to have that posture of an open heart and open hands. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, there's a whole systemic part of this systemic racism, and we'll get to that more later, but um, it also impacts us individually, right? Mm -hmm. Just because it's systemic doesn't mean it doesn't hit us personally and it doesn't have a personal weight or burden, I guess. Um, so I think we're kind of feeling similar to that. Jace, how about you? How did you, how did this impact you? Uh, yeah, emotionally, um, you know, you start out just, you watch the footage, which the footage of the actual incident is just horrendous. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you're shocked and you're kind of numb with it. And then sort of the reality sort of set in. 
Um, and then you're kind of disgusted that this happens um, way more than even what the media is showing. Um, so yeah, sad, frustrated, angry, um, convicted. Um, I think we all, we all, we all look outside at all the stuff and then we, we naturally start to look inside, hopefully start to look inside at how we have in small ways or large ways propagated the problem. And so that's kind of where I'm sitting right now is this knowing that this issue is constantly an issue, praying for it never to be an issue, and then searching um, my own heart to kind of see where I am either not doing enough or um, ignorant mm -hmm. or um, lacking humility. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, in that, uh, trying trying to just have a, a steady mind, not being overwhelmed, but then just thinking about practically what next steps I can take um, to do what God has called me to do. Uh, and specifically in the church, how to encourage the church, this beautiful group of people that gather together, how to encourage the church and be a voice to, to help others um, realize the next steps that we need to take mm -hmm. to make this issue um, end, to make this sin. <laughs> I mean, I know the world is going to be filled with sin um, until Jesus redeems it all, but how do we be part of that redemption now? Because I, th I do believe that's what God's called us to do as the church, be part of that redemption, be part of the movement of the Holy Spirit to, um, to work against the evils of the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you use some words that are tied to emotion, right? Like disgusted, mm -hmm. sad, or frustrated, angry. But again, you've also talked about how we need to move forward with it. We can't just let it just be an emotion and then move on. You know, sometimes we do that, right? We let it be a good, happy moment or a sad moment in our lives, and then we just move on from any kind of event, right? But then this is one of those events where we don't really just move on and and not let this event change us. I, when I first preached a sermon right after, you know, this became a big issue, I kind of prayed there that, God, I hope this isn't just a blip in, in history, that this would actually cause our societies, cause our culture to move forward in a better way. Um, so, Jordan, for you, how, how does that look like? How do you engage as a Christian? Just as a Christian person, how do you engage with this personally? What does moving forward look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's really important to recognize that we need to be able to engage in dialogue and debate and, and do so with um, the ability to hopefully promote, I think, the gospel in the way that we add to the conversation and the way that we engage in the, the debate and dialogue. Um, what does the gospel have to say about this issue? What does the gospel have to say about a number of different social issues? What does it mean for us as Christ followers to illuminate Jesus in the context of something like what we're seeing happening in the U.S. right now? And I think that when we start to think like that, not only does it challenge us to be gospel proclaimers, but it also challenges us to begin thinking through, uh, how do I go about proclaiming the gospel? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that involves us being challenged to engage with God in prayer, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us 
to push us to engage deeper in scripture. Um, if we're thinking about what the gospel has to say about this, then we're probably going to go to scripture to look and see uh, how did Jesus maybe maybe engage in uh, racialized issues or racism? What did the apostle Paul do or say when it came to things going on in you know first century uh, culture, uh, that type of thing. And I think that that engagement with scripture should hopefully also push us to engaging in culture as well, mm -hmm. um, to be able to figure out and research and think through what are some of the nuances to this issue that we're seeing in the States, um, to allow that emotional reaction to hopefully push us into a place where we can engage in discourse. Mm -hmm. So that's a good segue into, let's actually delve into some of that. So if we're going to look into the scripture, Mary, you kind of started us off, uh, off with scripture in Galatians, but you know, the Bible is actually rich with wisdom and, and the spirit of God actually speaks into our lives, right? It's not just in a, in a vacuum where we're just supposed to read this out of context. So what does scripture say about um, racism or corporate sin or systemic evil or whatever that we want to kind of talk about today related to what we're seeing in the world, not just in the U.S., but also globally um, in the systemic racism? What does the Bible say about all of this diversity, ethnics, culture, um, racism? Um, Jason, do you want to start us off with that? Can I maybe start at, at the heart? Mm -hmm. um, um, not so much diving into the issue, but just the issue of who we are as, as, as humans, as God's creation. And, and, you know, we could go on forever here. This could be the longest podcast ever, uh, talking about, um, what it means to be made in the image of God. And, um, in the last podcast, you know, one of the questions was, you know, where, what are you doing to kind of seek help during COVID where, you know, are you, are you receiving help from God's word? And I mentioned I was working through the Psalms and I'm still working through the Psalms. I'm right at the end, but, um, right at the, the heart of this, um, issue as things are happening and as things are hitting the media, um, a beautiful, very popular Psalm 139, um, was kind of was on the roster for my, for my quiet time. And it just struck me, um, the perspective that David had of, of himself as a creation of God. Um, the wonder that he held, the, the sacredness of, of humanity, of being um, knit together in his mother's womb. And I could almost sense, and I just sat on this Psalm for a couple of days, actually just kept rereading it. Um, and so um, all this to say, we have to start um, with this foundation that all life um, is a, is a beautiful creation of God. We've done our part in messing it up. We've done our part in the, the problem of, of sin and rebellion and, 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 you know, unfortunately all of these, uh, problems in the world and specifically the horrible issue of racism and inequality has come out of that. But coming back to this wonder and amazement of who we are as God's creation and being in this place of humility and knowing that, um, that God has put his fingerprints on us and to hold this value, to hold, um, 
this grace that God has given us by, by making us. And so some of these words are just incredibly incredible. And, uh, you know, talks about, you know, it doesn't talk about just the wonder of humanity. It talks about the comparison of the wonder of who we are and the majesty of God and how we can't go anywhere without him. We can't hide over here. We can't go over there. And God knows where we are. And just that comparison of who we are and who God is and the wonder that we find ourselves in. Um, but really at the end where, where it caught me was just the, it, where it finished it up, where it says, just search me, God, and, and know my heart and um, try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous uh, way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I find it interesting that, that David found himself at the end of that and all that wonder and amazement of who we are and who God is. And he even goes into this little snippet and I don't, I don't understand it. If this is a song, it's, uh, it would get tossed out as a bad bridge in, in a song because he goes into this rant of hating evil in the middle of it, like gets through it. And then all of a sudden, God, I hate what you hate. I hate the evil in the world. And man, I was just like, it just spoke to me on, on this issue of, of, the injustices and the sin and the evil that we see in this world <laughs> in light of how beautiful we've been made to be and in light of how we are supposed to treat each other. And he goes on this rant of how he hates, hates evil. And then, it, and he ends with this sort of plea, God, search me, try me, know me, mm -hmm. lead me in the way of everlasting. And so it was a, a yeah, it was a really a, a profound two or three days of rereading this psalm um, and and seeking out kind of what it means to be human, what it means to be all created equal and beautiful yeah. and in God's image, and then going from there, um, living in this place of God, help us, please, we need your mercy. Help us move forward as your beautiful creation in the way that you've called us to live. So that's kind of where I could, if I could speak to just the, the foundation of it, God has created us equal and beautiful in his image. And that is the place we have to go from there to get into these conversations about um, all of, all of things like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If, if Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the us being made in the image of God is, is true. If we believe that to be true, then we also have to be offended and deeply, um, deeply angry, I guess, um, at this, at, at this notion of the dignity of a God or an, an image bearer of God to be taken away from them, uh, life to be taken or dignity to be taken or someone with the image of God not to be treated with such honor that they, they are worthy of, not because they're good in, in and of themselves, but because they bear the image of God because that's how much value God has placed on us, right? So every time we have like self-hate and, you know, self um criticism and stuff, when you get down, I try to urge our Christian brothers and sisters saying, hey, Christ thought you were worthy of him dying for you on a cross. That's how much he loved you. And that's the value he puts on your life. Not because you did all these fantastic things, because he is love. And for someone to now go against that and say, no, he's not valuable, she's not valuable, whatever, then that should deeply offend us as Christians. And that's where I think some of the frustration, anger comes out of as a Christian, knowing that, yeah, like David's saying, like this weird bridge portion in that song, like he hates sin and so do we. Even though we engage in sin ourselves and we, we are leaning on the grace of God at the very same time, yeah, we want to see righteousness. Of course, that is a very natural reaction for all of us. Mary, how about you, as you delve into scripture, as you tried, like you said earlier, to make sense of this in, in light of scripture, where are you going? What are you hearing? 
Um, there's two main places I was going uh, just preparing for this. The first one is pretty much the entirety of the book of Galatians. I mean, it's in Galatians 3 that we get the verse about how we are one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then the second place I go is just directly to looking at how Jesus ministered when he was here. Um, Jesus, by all accounts, is the greatest advocate for people and the greatest teacher of what justice and mercy is. I mean, he ministers to the lepers, he ministers to the Samaritans, Mm -hmm. he ministers to women, all these people who are sort of slightly outcast or treated completely unequal. Mm -hmm. He sees them and he hears them. And that's why in both my conversations and my personal life, I just keep coming back to the fact that Jesus, he is his humility in Philippians, it talks about how how far he humbled mm-hmm. himself, even to death. And so then when I look at what I need to be doing, the conversations I need to be having, humility is something that comes to the forefront of my mind because it is who Jesus was. And that's how he was able to see people and hear people and love them because he was able to humble himself. Yeah. And I don't think there's any greater example than Jesus himself. Absolutely. (laughs) Jesus actually walks into a scene when he comes here on earth for his earthly ministry. He walks into a scene of systemic racism there, Mm -hmm. right? Samaria, like that's a deep rooted systemic racism right there. And he walks into it and he's, as far as we know, he's one of the only rabbis who walks, like literally walks on Samaria's land. Like Mm -hmm. every other rabbi would go out of their way, literally out of their way to avoid contact with Samaritans. And instead, he does that in Acts chapter 8. And then in the following chapter, Jesus actually tells the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. And for the disciples, that is a very controversial Mm -hmm. thing to say. You can say a good Jew, a good Israelite, and saying a good Greek might even offend someone. But to say a good Samaritan is just unthinkable, right? For a rabbi, a Jewish Israelite person to say that was offensive in itself. And Jesus knows it. He knows his context and speaks into it. Um, almost discouraging racism right there. When people would say Samaritans are dogs or less than dogs, um, when that was the cultural norm, Jesus flips that and, and turns that upside down. And he, he, he does not stand for it. Um, Jordan, as you search scripture, as we make sense of this, where are you going? Yeah, I think that, um, like I said previously, to, to lean into scripture to, to, and actually to dive in uh, to really look more in depth at, okay, so... What, what might the gospel say in this situation or how can I be used by God to speak gospel into this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about Samaria, talking about the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. um, I would encourage people, like if you're kind of thinking and hearing, oh, okay, racism in the Bible and what does that look like? And I would encourage you to, to read John chapter 4, verses mm-hmm. 4 to 26. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a classic woman at the well. Uh, and we've, you probably have uncovered this before, maybe heard it in sermons. Uh, I would encourage you to do a deep dive into that section of text. Um, it's, it, there's actually multiple, <laughs> multiple issues that Jesus is engaging in that section of text, uh, racism being one of them, um, how people regarded women. Uh, and it's mind blowing what Jesus does and just demonstrates that he loves everyone. Uh, and that ultimately from even a story like this, we see the outflow of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, we see how Jesus' teaching impact and shape 
the entire movement of Christianity moving forward. Uh, we see it extensively through all of Paul's writings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, some other areas of scripture that I personally go to would be uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're ambassadors of Christ. Mm -hmm. We're part of this ministry of reconciliation, God making an appeal through us. Um, ambassadors are people that are have been sent into another culture to represent something and they're engaging in that culture and making an appeal in that culture. Um, I always think of uh, Paul being an ambassador and I'm always drawn to Acts 17 when, mm. when Paul's doing his missionary adventures. Uh, there's this powerful sequence in Acts 17 where we see him in Athens. The text talks about his spirit being provoked because of all these false idols all over all over the place. And it drives Paul to just beginning to engage in conversation. Mm -hmm. Text says, if you're reading the ESV, he reasoned with everyone there. He's talking to the Epicureans. He's talking to the Stoic philosophers and he's generating conversation. And eventually he gets to go to the Areopagus to make this big kind of case for Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's brilliant what he does. He doesn't just argue his position. He actually presents God using what he's seeing in their culture. Mm -hmm. he, he draws in their, their poetry, their poets, and ties in saying, hey, you've heard your poets talking about this. Well, let me tell you who they're talking about, even though they might not realize it. They're talking about God, mm -hmm. uh, it's brilliant. And I think that, um, you know, if you, so, you know, right there, John 4, read that, begin there. Uh, if you want to understand what it looks like to be an ambassador of Christ, what Paul's talking about there, I encourage you to read Acts 17, mm -hmm. both powerful ways that you can engage in, in the Bible and start to, to challenge yourself and think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm reading this. How does this look like now in my context in 21st century uh, Canada and as a global citizen? Yeah. Yeah. And we just talked about that in our sermon series, right? What does it look like to be a citizen here, like the Philippians? They were Roman citizens. But at the same time, we also have a different citizenship, which is a citizen of heaven. So how do we live with that dual citizenship? And some people just choose to have, okay, I'm a citizen of heaven, so I'm going to leave the Roman citizenship behind, and I'm just going to live for heaven. And whatever happens here on earth, all these broken things that we see, I'm just going to let it be because this isn't my country anyways. And I think that's a deep misunderstanding of what our ambassadorship or, or our citizenship in heaven looks like. It's We actually are dual citizens. We're citizens of, in our case, citizens of Canada, uh, wherever you are in the world, you're citizens there and you're citizens in heaven. So it's a dual identity that actually one informs the other. Our citizenship in heaven informs the way that we live as citizens here on earth. But the, we have so much scripture that we could head into, right? Um, I just want to point to something that you guys have been touching on already. But since we're in Philippians, we've preached through this just a few weeks ago at our church. But the Christ hymn, this is one of the most beautiful portrayals of Christ's glory. But also, it's like, to me, it's like salvation from God's perspective, from the heavens perspective, right? Like we have salvation from our perspective as recipients of God's grace and mercy and salvation. But this almost shows us like kind of God's perspective of what he did when he sent his son and when Jesus decided to come. So Philippians 2, starting with verse 5, I'm just wanting to um, read this part of scripture with you. It's beautiful. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I kind of made a big deal about this whole thing about being in the form of God, you know, having all the privileges and all the prerogatives as a divine king, the king of kings, the king of this universe. And then at the same time, emptying himself of all of that to come here and minister to us and use the privilege that he has not only for selfish gain, but rather for serving others, serving people whom he loved. And I feel like there's a hint there. And not only racism, but in every aspect of our lives, when we see injustice, when we see people who are quote unquote weaker or not being treated equally, this is our perspective that Jesus used his privileges to serve others. And if we have any privilege at all, we should be using that to serve others. And, you know, you probably have been hearing white privilege a lot. And I know it's harder for me to re relate to that than maybe you guys, but there is privilege, right? I, I think there's been a lot of talk about white privilege, so we don't have to deep dive into it here maybe. But then there's also Christian privilege, I believe. If you truly believe you have this access to God through Christ, if you truly believe you have the gospel, <laughs> then we have privilege. If you actually think this is truth and this actually saves you, this transforms you, and this builds you up towards Christ, then that is a privilege. And if we're not using it to serve others, and if we're only using it to put others down and say, well, you guys are wrong, we're good. We're not racist. You guys are horrible. So, you know, we'll judge you. That's probably the wrong way to use this Christian privilege. Rather than taking that perspective, how can we now engage the world, like you said, Jordan, how do we engage the world with this gospel, but also saying, okay, if we have this, this is a gift, this is a privilege that God has given us, how do we now use this to serve others who don't have this right now? A world that is lacking this truth, needing this truth, how do we engage with it that way? Now, I also, I also want to go into, so where do we go from here? So we go through scripture, we go through um, our personal journey in this, but as a collective, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as a church, how do we move forward? And I don't wanna get into a political thing of how we move forward, but rather just theologically and practically, how do we move forward? And I'm just gonna quote from, uh, or not quote, but I'm gonna to refer to Tim Keller. He was on um, Desiring God, I think it was a conference. I, I found this on YouTube. So if you search Tim Keller, racism and corporate evil, a white guy's perspective, you'll actually see this on YouTube. You can hear it, it's like 20 something minutes. Um, John Piper apparently speaks at this conference and he follows, but it's brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant. He actually lays out a good theological perspective of systemic or corporate evil and corporate responsibility. He points to a few scriptures like Joshua 7, where you have this guy named Achan and he commits sin. And it's not only him who gets punished, but his whole family. And Tim Keller says there that like, man, Westerners, especially white Western Christians have a hard time with this because we're so individualistic um, in our culture. But many other cultures don't have a problem with, okay, you've committed sin, now your whole family's gonna die. It's like, what? We go, that's unfair. That's not how our justice system works. That's not our thoughts. But he says in the Bible, it's actually peppered throughout the Bible, this idea of corporate sin. And he points to, in my opinion, the best probably example of this is in Romans chapter five. He, and Paul talks about death in Adam, right? Adam and Eve sinned, but that sin is now given to us. We have responsibility. Yes, we sin personally too. We get that. But there's this original sin that we talk about in theology that we have this weight or burden or consequences of a sin that our ancestors right at the top of this, Adam and Eve, 
they have committed the sin and yet we're responsible for it. But on the flip side, on the more positive, we also see that um, if you if you have the gospel, if you really believe in the gospel, you believe in corporate responsibility because Jesus died for all of our sin, meaning that one person actually paid the price of sin for all of us. If you believe that truth to be yours, then you also have to believe that, well, I guess there is such thing as a corporate responsibility because as one died or, or as all died in one man, Adam, all live in Christ. So that's the whole truth of Romans chapter five, right? And he actually presents that as the, the, this idea of corporate sin, corporate evil, and also corporate responsibility is a biblical truth. It's not just a random thing. So when you, when you participate in sin systemically, you are responsible for it. Um, and he kind of talks about different levels of systemic uh, responsibility as well. There are the guys who are more responsible per se, because they have, um, they create the system. They knowingly participate in the system and they rejoice in it and say, I want the system to continue. And then there are guys who say, hey, I don't exactly know what's going on in the system. I kind of know, kind of don't, but you know what? I know this kind of benefits me per se, so I'm not gonna really look into it. I'm just gonna turn a blind eye to it. And then there are others who really genuinely don't know what's going on. And if they knew, they would probably stand up against it and change, but they just don't know it's ignorance. And Tim Keller says, all of these levels have to be in play and be working properly for the systemic sin to continue. Any one of those levels start to be disrupted and to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to participate in this, in this systemic sin. Then the system will actually start to break apart. And the, and the irony of this is that this video, this conference was in 2017. It wasn't just after George Floyd. He wasn't getting on a bandwagon of all these thoughts coming in. This was already a truth that he was thinking of in the States, especially, but all over the world, that this systemic sin won't work or it won't be broken if people still choose to be a part of that system by either perpetuating it very explicitly or by just saying, I'm going to turn a blind eye or just saying, hey, I didn't know. That's why I didn't change. Whether ignorance, blind eye or an explicit act of systemic racism, if all of those are in place, no matter where you fit on that, then this system will continue to live on. It will not stop. So how do we break this cycle of the system? Is Well, ignorance is no longer an excuse, especially after an explosive thing that George Floyd's death brought upon our culture. This conversation, these discussions, these debates. Ignorance is really not an excuse. And neither is a blind eye. Um, so I, I just want to hear your thoughts on this systemic nature, this corporate nature of the sin, and how do we as a church move forward? Well, you kind of just preached a sermon there, so we don't have much to say. Um, I would say, just to answer that question, where do we go from here? Not to make it super simple, because it's anything but simple. Like, really, like, if you've been shaken by this, it's anything but simple. You can't, you can't just, you know, turn into a, a cop hater um, because of what you've seen. You realize that, that the whole situation was very specific, but like you said, Paul, but it's part of something that is systemic, that is part of un the unfortunate mindset of people in the world um, that some don't even know they have. But so, um, yeah, uh, Micah 6, 8 has been just sitting on my, on my heart, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Mm -hmm. Um, 
profound words in those. So you have this element of, and it's really interesting that, that, that God would speak specifically, uh, in this area, like, you know, what am I to do while well, you do justly? Okay. So as a Christian, um, don't be silent. Um, you might be a quieter person. You might be more introverted, but there are ways for you to speak and do justly, uh, for everybody. Um, love mercy for me. It could, I don't, this is probably not the best interpretation of it, but, um, just our, our relationship with God and knowing what we have deserved in light of all of this <laughs> racism and, and sin, um, and treasuring the fact that God hasn't dealt with us the way he could and should have yet. He gave us Jesus. Um, so be enamored with this daily mercy and cry out for this mercy for yourself, for this nation. Um, you know, we talk about Canada is not void of this problem. Um, uh, the way this nation started is it is an embarrassment. Uh, we have done our own fair share and we do our own fair share of racism. So how do you back up, speak justly into that, continue to love mercy, the, the, the grace that God gives us and, um, and do it in a way that's humbly. I get, I get it. There's, there's lots of passion and there's lots of voices and, and sometimes we need to hear the shouts and sometimes we need to hear this, those whispers, but personally, uh, and I think as the church, we need to walk humbly. We can't just assume that because we we've we've read this and we should be above this as Christians that it's not our problem. It is. Um, the church has been um, <laughs> sadly the church has been guilty of so many so many of the world's problems in the name of religion, um, horrendous things. So um, that humility that 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 posture of humility will allow us to keep our eyes up. Um, and trusting in God to show us the areas of our lives that desperately need to change so that we can truly be light. Mm -hmm. So um, I know it's it's maybe too cliche for this, but if I could hold on to those three right now, I think I would be in a good start to to see some some positive change happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wrote down just a couple of practical points that I that came to my mind through the different research that I was doing. But one thing in a bunch of different talks and videos I was um, watching, one thing that kept coming up is the the small fact, but the power of starting with your sphere of influence, starting mm -hmm. with yourself, yourself, starting with your family, having conversations about race and justice and what the Bible says about these things. Do them in the sphere that you can control. You can't necessarily control what's going to happen getting involved in a big heated social media debate, but you can take responsibility and control for your own family, for your own self, for your heart. Um, the second would be to, like Jordan said, and like I also mentioned, to read scripture. The Bible is full of um, of truth, obviously, mm -hmm. truth and stories and wisdom, whether from Paul, Jesus himself, it talks about this matter. And that was something I was actually convicted of because um, I find we often read the scripture through the lens of what we're needing out of it. So mm -hmm. if you are depressed, you're going to maybe read the Psalms and all the lamenting scriptures, but because I've never felt like I'm persecuted for my race, I've never read the scripture through that lens before. And it was powerful how much the scripture specifically has to say about how there is no room for racism in Christianity, in the Bible. And so, yeah, read scriptures. What were the two you mentioned? Uh, so uh, John chapter four, verses uh, four to 26, woman at the well. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just reading scripture. Another one is this comes across um, the topic of just learning about um, uh, the Africans, Americans in our country and um, it's just to diversify the the voices and the narratives that we learn about. I was thinking about the books in my library, the preachers I listen to on podcasts, and they're all white. So I've just been trying to do. Well, wait, I'm not white. Yeah. I hope you're True. listening to okay. my sermons. <laughs> fair, fair. I'm listening to your sermons, but just you count, but you don't count. <laughs> but yeah, just diversifying the narratives and the voices that we're saturating ourselves with. Um, and then lastly, like Jason mentioned, and I mentioned before, a humble posture. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's often underrated, but just it is who Jesus was and it's who we're called to be as well. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, any anything to add to that as we move forward? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what Jason and Mary have shared is is on point, and I think uh, you know I'll go watch the Tim Keller thing. Thanks, yeah. thanks for not sharing ahead of time, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go take a look. Um, but I think I think one thing I might want to add, and I don't know if this is exactly on topic, but um, you know we need to be aware that we are living in a time when discourse, especially public discourse, has kind of died. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, depending on kind of your upbringing or background, uh, something that uh, something that I often think about is um, the educator author Neil Postman mm. wrote a book called "Amusing Ourselves to Death." Yeah. Uh, in it, he essentially and this came out in 1985, uh, and it's just it's it's remarkable how much he projected where we are today. Um, You think of uh, mediums of communication like Twitter. Uh, I think recently they kind of bumped up how many characters you're allowed to use, (laughs) but it's not a lot. You think about social media, social networking platforms. Um, They're not designed to have robust debate and discourse. And so similar to, I think, what I was sharing earlier about really kind of digging into scripture. Um, and, and here's the thing, you know, I'm not saying, you know, ignore or don't engage or anything like that, but, but dig a little bit, you know, like there's a difference between having the ability to share a few things in conversation and being informed and being able to engage in discourse. Um, and I think that that's true of how we relate to God and dig into scripture, but also especially true when it comes to social issues or issues like what we're seeing um, people engaging with right now with uh, what's going on in the States and, and it's pour over effect mm-hmm. um, to actually take time and read and, and read multiple sources. You know, you know, first year university, one of my sociology professors said, Hey, you know, if you really resonate with this specific view that aligns perfectly with yours, seek out the alternative perspective, yeah. read and engage with it. And not just from a, this person is an idiot, but actually thinking through critically and going, okay, what are their points? How can they add to the conversation? And I think that um, if, if we move forward and take those initial steps, I think that we will start to see change take place in our spheres of influence and yeah. maybe even within us and how we're approaching these issues. And maybe not necessarily just looking at it from our limited perspective, but engaging in broader perspectives that will hopefully allow us to be ambassadors of Christ yeah. and to speak gospel into some of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our, our church vision statement is love like Jesus, but we have five sub tenets, I guess, sub points of that. And one of them is engaging culture. And it's hilarious for us to be, if, if any of us are saying, hey, I'm not racist, so I don't need to really talk about or research this or dig deeper, whether into scripture or um, hopefully scripture and um, studying what other people are saying in discourse. 
if you say that, if you have that perspective, basically what you're saying is that subtenant that we have to engage culture isn't important to you. Because if you want to speak into a brokenness or a pain or something that our culture is grieving or lamenting right now, we must equip ourselves both with scriptural and gospel truth, but also what are they feeling? Are we listening at all? Right? Like Paul listens in Acts 17, the, the example you gave, Paul listens and reads and perceives and even asks questions. And some of them, I get it, they're rhetorical, but a lot of time it's genuinely studying the culture and being a part of it that gives them access into speaking wisdom and truth. And so for us, I think if we want to engage in culture, we need to also be humble listeners. And you guys all mentioned that. I, I want to leave um, our podcast with this thought, and it's an open-ended kind of thought, so I don't know, it's a little bit risky to end like this. I've been studying Philippians a lot throughout this series for our sermon, and I've struggled with this one concept that I saw in one commentary where Paul, the, the person, the writer says, Paul is intentionally shaming people in Philippi for correction. And I thought that goes against everything that I would do as a church pastor. Right. Remember when he calls out names like Yodia um, and Syntyche, like two women who are not getting along, like that's very shameful now. If I preached a sermon saying, hey, you and you by name, you guys got to get along. That's already shameful. But then back in those days where it's a shame and honor culture, that is so shameful and offensive. And yet he does it. And this commentator, he actually writes, he says, Paul knows this. Paul's a part of this culture that knows shame and honor. He, he uses it in his rhetoric and he does it still. There's this one sense as, as moving forward, I, I'm still wrestling with it. This is why it's open-ended. I don't know. I haven't come to a conclusion of what do we do with that fact that it exists in Paul's teaching. Therefore, it's inspired by the word of God, by his spirit. And there, there's an example of us saying sin is not acceptable. And there's a certain level of shame if you participate in it. The excommunication that we see in the early church that's outlined in the book of Matthew, things like that. I don't know. I don't have a perfect answer to it. How do we make sense of that and apply it to our current situation? But us saying, I'm not racist, so that's okay, or I'm not this, whatever social issue that we're talking about. I'm not saying we all have to be an activist in every um, aspect of life, but we do have to come to a point where we no longer allow sin to be glorified or even okay. And I think we have numbed ourselves to a certain extent by saying, as long as I'm not sinning, if other people are sinning, it's okay. Our deeply individual society has caused us to say, as long as I'm not sinning, it doesn't matter if my brothers or sisters are or my neighbors are. And it's almost offensive for us to speak into anyone's lives like that. But the very nature of church goes against that. And the very um, idea of accountability, like even when you used to lead youth groups, accountability groups, it, and, it's, and it's in our core, that's a very big part of it. And that's, again, love like Jesus, speaking truth. And do we fear the aspect of shame so much, even in our society, that we would not bring ourselves to speak up? And, and I wonder how this conversation around communities and, and our society about not only racism, but just all the things that has been, um, I guess, released and, and unleashed, I guess, for us to talk about now. I wonder how this is going to move forward. But I think for our church, for STBC, this is something that we must ponder on and do our homework on. And continue to engage, like we said, humbly, gospel-centered, gospel-focused. Um, and at the same time, knowing that if it's sin, how do we, how do we go about dealing with sin in our lives and in our culture? Um, but anyhow, I think this is something for our hearers and viewers to kind of ponder on. Hopefully that gives them some food for thought. And this whole conversation has given them some perspective from our church's perspective. 
Um, I know that Canada is a different country, but like you said, Jason, we have our own share um, and our own um, history behind this. So we're not exempt from talking about this and considering this and prayerfully asking God to lead us through this. So why don't we just do that now? Jordan, do you mind just closing us, closing this podcast with a word of prayer? Yeah, definitely. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, just thankful for this time that we have to talk about this important uh, issue and and to allow it to lead us into all sorts of different areas uh, in scripture uh, in terms of our walk and uh, path with you uh, and forming our discipleship. Lord, uh, I just pray, God, that uh, this would be an opportunity for us to reflect, um, think inwardly, uh, to consider uh, where we are in our walk with you, how often we're engaging with scripture, what it looks like to be informed by your word, and that, Lord, it uh, it spurs us on to then take steps forward, God, uh, engaging in discourse, engaging in dialogue and debate, uh, being ambassadors, thinking about how the gospel can speak into this and how the gospel informs how we speak into this, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, ultimately we would see you working in and through us and that um, this would present opportunities for us uh, to point the world to you, uh, a God that loves the world, a God that wants to see the world reconciled, uh, a God that wants to work in this world in, in unique ways, Lord. And I pray, God, that um, through whatever it is that we do, we would see people coming to faith in you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope today's episode was inspiring and encouraging for you. May God bless you as you go about your day. 